we turn our clients into media celebrities. I've got the background. We've been able to do this. I mean, we get our clients, you know, some of our clients are getting like 40, 50 media placements a month. And we're like one fourth the cost of a normal PR firm. You do this because it's going to boost your authority. It's going to boost your visibility. It's going to boost your revenue. Hey, it's Matt. And this is Pass the Secret Sauce. Josh Elledge is a U.S. Navy veteran and launched UpMyInfluence.com to help entrepreneurs attract the perfect audiences and grow their brands without the crazy costs associated with traditional PR companies. UpMyInfluence's purpose is to democratize access to influence. Josh believes he has a moral imperative to help entrepreneurs serve the world with their collective messages while growing their revenue. Up My Influence was the natural outgrowth from his first startup, Savings Angel, which he grossed more than $6 million in sales with less than $500 in advertising. He did it all through building authority and serving audiences in the media. Josh is a weekly TV consumer expert in Orlando, writes a syndicated newspaper column to 1.1 million readers, and regularly appears on more than 75 TV stations across the country. All told, Josh has appeared in the media more than 2,000 times. Josh is living in Orlando with his wife and three children. So mom made a lot of casseroles. (laughs) So, you know, we grew up, I would say, you know, kind of uh, lower, you know, income, working class. Dad had strong, super strong work ethic and, you know, worked a uh, technician and eventually started his own business in uh, when I was in third grade. And it was really rocky for a number of years. And, but, you know, my Mom and dad actually worked together, so they did some really good modeling for me. But in terms of, you know, the dinner table, you know, my mom, uh, you know, even though she kind of worked with my dad, you know, when they had their, when they were doing their business together, she was mostly home for us. And, and I was really grateful for that because she did spend some fair amount of time in the kitchen. And, but yeah, she's, we're in the Midwest. It's a big casserole town, mm-hmm. <laughs> big yep. casserole part of the country. So she just, I just think she threw everything in the kitchen sink in a, in a baking dish, threw it in the oven and there you go. That's yeah, dinner. There you go. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. What, what type of business was your dad in? What, what did so, you start? Yeah. So back in college, he was actually in a, in a rock band. And so they would do like deep purple covers and stuff like that. So they were doing some heavy duty uh, rock band uh, stuff. His band name was Zoid. And so he was the keyboardist and pretty good actually. And so that he eventually started repairing keyboards and he got really, really good at that. And so in Wisconsin, he did that with a, uh, some partners started a keyboard retail out, uh, store and that actually actually went out of business. And so then my dad went independent, then went back and worked with another employer for a while. But yeah, that was, so then for the past 20 years now, he's been back working on his own, probably even 25 years working on his own. And, you know, he just worked, does a lot of church organs, works with a lot of musicians in rock, you know, in bands of different types. And so anything electronic, he's, he knows it really, really well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So would you say that exposure to entrepreneurialism at such a young age helped you want to branch out on your own or want to go out on your own? Yeah. Yeah, completely normalized it. And I'll tell you why. So not only did my dad model this 
for me, but my grandma owns a health food store in the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. And she would say, I don't want to work for anybody else. Why do I want to make them rich? You know, I want to do my own thing. And, you know, even, you know, business owners, you know, my, but, but not only her. So my grandma's dad owned a general store. And so that's how he paid the bills. My great, great granddaddy, Amos Elledge, that's an old timey name right there. He was a proprietor and he sold blocks of ice. So as far back as I can look at like census records and stuff, he did that at least 10 years wow. and uh you know probably was you know when modern day refrigeration came about i think that probably put him out of business uh wow. but it's it's in my blood you know that's it's awesome i'll be honest i'm a man i'm a not i'm not a very good employee <laughs> i i'm i am a really great business owner though and i think part of it has to do with my personality where you know i just i, I have to create mm -hmm. and i don't want to be slowed down by bureaucracy that says I can or can't do something. And a lot of this stems from how I view my role in serving audiences and serving the market. Now you do have to, the market is always going to be your boss. And so as much as you might think you can change the market, you can't. You can't do anything to change the market, but you can introduce new products and services that can improve the lives of other people. And this is a common theme that I've had through the businesses that I've done that have actually been very successful. And, and we'll talk about all my business failures too, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you've had all this exposure and all of this family lineage of uh, entrepreneurialism. Did you start out at a young age with some smaller types, types of uh, companies, maybe you know, as a kid, high school? What were you doing then? So, you know, I, I had a lawn mowing business and I'd make two to four dollars a piece mowing lawns in our neighborhood. I, now, I liked actually working in the trailer park because I could get those done a lot quicker. Uh -huh. And I found that, you know, I could do much better volume wise and I could go door to door and just say, you know, hey, would love to mow your lawn. I, I knew that having lots and lots of relationships was much better than depending on just one person, mm -hmm. you know, to feast or famine. So I kind of learned some of these lessons early on. You know, in middle school, I got in trouble a couple of times for selling candy. So I'd go to the store, I'd buy candy for 10, 25 cents a piece, and then I'd go and I'd sell it for 50 cents a piece. And in middle school, yeah, I got in trouble by the principal. They break into my locker confiscate all my candy and then yell at me in the in the principal's office. So I remember when I we they had like a high school orientation evening or something like that. And so they go here to kind of tell the middle schoolers all about what high school is like. And they're like, all right, does anybody have any questions? And I said, yeah. And I raised my hand. Can I sell candy? <laughs> <laughs> That's and, and so they said, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. And I'm like, I'm going to love this high school thing. Now I didn't, I think I ended up moving on to different businesses by then. But even while I was in high school, as soon as I turned 16, you know, I was working during school. I was working 20 hours a week during school. And during the summer, I was working minimum 40 hours a week. And back then, even now, you know, you, if you're a minor, you could only work so many hours. So the way I got around that is I'd have multiple jobs so mm -hmm. I could clock in as many hours as possible. You know, pretty motivated by achieving success. And my dad actually made me save 80% of everything oh, I wow. earned for college. So by the time I was done with high school, I actually had $5,500 saved up as a high schooler, just working 
honestly, menial part-time jobs, you know, but as many hours as I could, you know, now today, my son who's like 16 and that cat makes a hundred, he goes, he does pressure washing. He make a hundred dollars a pop, you know, just going door to door. That's a whole lot better than making two to $4 for mowing a lawn. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and are you having him save uh, portions of that as well? Not as much, much, uh, you know, but, but then again, a lot of that is based on, you have to look at kind of the, the character, you have to look at what are the most important things in his or our kids, you know, kids' lives. Mm -hmm. Are they doing well on the main things? And if they are, so for example, he's doing really well in school. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that if he continues to do as well as he's doing, and both of my, all my kids are doing really well in school, and we could talk about why that is. And I've actually done a lot of research on how to have, how to encourage brilliant students. Um, mm-hmm. But so that really matters because I know that if he keeps that kind of grade point in Florida, we have a really, really great program, Bright Futures, and where he can get 50% of his tuition paid for if he goes to a Florida state school, he wants to go to Florida. Like we've talked about what his ambitions are and he's got a solid business plan. And because mm-hmm. he has a solid business plan, I don't really need to worry about some of the minutiae. Yeah. I, I prefer to give my kids a little bit more freedom on the stuff that you know probably doesn't matter. I don't want to be the controlling parent, but I do need to make sure that they're on target. If they're on target, then they can have lots of freedom. That's awesome. That's great. And I absolutely love the uh, the topic of uh, you know creating brilliant students and all that. So yeah. maybe that could be another interview that we do too. Yeah. Be, well, yeah. just tell you real quick. Um, so one of the best books that I read on this, and I've, I've read other things on this, but you know, one book that sums it up really, really well is Freakonomics. Because okay. what they wanted to do was study, how do we create students who love to read. And so they thought, well, they they went through all these different examples of like, well, maybe we just need to give kids more books. That really didn't have a big impact. Well, maybe we need to provide all these other social programs. And they tried all that stuff. And I believe this was in, in Chicago that they, they were referring a lot of this research. And that really wasn't moving the needle. Well, maybe it has to do with the success of the parents. And there was a little bit of a correlation, but not really. That's not it. So what's going on? Well, so what they found out that the biggest correlation by a landslide of like, what is it that evokes great students who love to read? And it was this, it was, do the parents model a love of learning? And if the parents are kind of geeks on like, they love learning stuff, chances are, those kids are going to love it too. But if you have parents, the average parent doesn't read more than two books once they are done with school. Mm -hmm. And so typically children of parents who don't continue to learn don't do as well, according to the research. And so modeling is far more important than I think, you know, being that authoritative or authoritarian parent model, the thing that you want your kids to do. And by the way, I like I am not perfect at this. Like I'm, I'm such an imperfect dad, but I, I think, you know, I try to be mindful of it, you know, and I'll tell you, you know, one thing that I know that if you have a lot of other business owners that are listening to our conversation, one thing that's a big challenge for us because, mm-hmm. you know, especially now as of when we're recording this, we're locked down, we're socially distancing, you know, we're staying at home and I work from home and I've always, you know, I've worked from home since the year 2001. So it's tough when you live at the office and you can't leave the office. Guess what? You're going to do a lot of office stuff. And so I really have to work hard to try to be present 
for my kids. And I, and I have to schedule it and I have to block it off and I have to be disciplined enough to say, yeah, I should be doing this because I got all this pressure from my clients and my employees and all this other stuff. But it's like, you know, you got to schedule there. I just found that there, and this is part of my, you know, my productivity hacks is I have to just schedule stuff. If it's not scheduled, I'm not going to do it. So mm -hmm. I have to schedule exercise. I have to schedule time with my wife. I have to schedule time with my kids. I have to schedule, you know, other things that are really good for me. Time, you know, I have to schedule time. Um, and again, I'm not, I, I generally, I just keep like a, a list, right? And then got to per keep in my calendar, just like block off. This is personal list stuff, like call and talk to my dad. And so, uh, you know, talk to him, you know, talk to my parents for 20 minutes yesterday. But it's tough, you know, when you're that type A achiever business owner, it can be really, really tough to get your life out of balance if you don't schedule these things. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And you were talking about the modeling of your kids and basically they see what you do and they're going to emulate that. It's the same for employees too. You know, you don't want to ask someone to do something that you haven't done or can't do. So yeah. same, same type of thing. I think that that's a lot of problem or that's a problem that a lot of entrepreneurs make that they feel like they can just pass off this information or this task to someone else without really understanding what it is that they're you know, even doing or what the, the outcome is, which, yeah. you know, then, then you're leaving it up to the employee to figure out what it is that, that they actually want. So, you know, again, that kind of gets back to you know, creating all the processes and systems in, in your company. But anyway, so you have had some great success with some other companies. Do you want to go into a little bit of, of some of the success that you've seen with you know, things like Savings Angel, yeah. actually even, even uh, talking about why you guys created Savings Angel in the first place? Yeah, well, I needed to. So generally, I create products and services that I need. <laughs> and so for me, I had been working as an independent contractor doing marketing for a network of law firms. And it wasn't going real, like it was going okay, but it was starting to, uh, it's been five years now, and my income was starting to get a little inconsistent. And so I had been through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And, you know, when he got to the part where he talked about building a spending plan, I really didn't have one. And, and uh, you know, I just kind of was just paying the bills as they came through and not being very thoughtful about it. And so then he got to that line item for, well, what do you spend for food for your family? And so I, I remember asking my wife, I'm like, hey, what do we spend at the grocery store every month? Maybe what, like $300 or something? And she laughed at me. She goes, are you kidding? We spend like $800 consistently, $800 or more every month. And I'm like, for a family of you know, it was at the time, it was three very young kids. And I'm like, if I were drinking coffee at the time, I would have been, what? $800 a month. That is a big ticket item. Like there's gotta be a way that you can save money. There's gotta be a way you could do that better. And so I started reading all of the experts I could. I was checking books out from the library. There really wasn't a lot of great information online at the time. There was some blogs, but not much. But what I found is that there's really only two ways that you can significantly cut your food bill. Now, number one, stop eating out. Eating out is insanely expensive compared to making your own food. So stop doing that. That's a given. Number two would be feed yourself more inexpensively. You can grow your own food. You can plant a big garden and you can get really good at freezing or jarring or, you know, whatever. I tried that. I'm really bad at it. And I'll be honest, 
I just didn't have the time to be able to dedicate a whole lot to doing that. And so I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll do a little bit, but I don't think I'm going to be, I don't really think that's going to make a big difference. Plus that's not going to save me a lot of money right now, which is, you know, that's, I have to wait for the plants to grow and, you know, the, the harvest, to, you know, kind of come to fruition. So, so the other way you could do this is you have to get really, really good at taking advantage of every money-saving opportunity you can with food at retailers and manufacturers. So how do you do this? Well, the best way you can do this is you have to get really good at tracking the best sales and know that even though it's on the front page, yeah, no, that's not actually a really great deal. So you have to know most of us, Matt, will we really only buy about 100, 150 different items, and that's kind of it. Like, we keep buying the same items over and over and over again. And so you want to get really, really good at knowing what is the best price for those items. So you can keep a log. You can, you can, you can keep a diary of these prices. Now, that's, and what you ultimately want to aim for is that low, 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 this is the lowest price this stuff goes and you know that and you know where to go and you go to, let's say you go to Aldi for your milk, eggs and your cheese or whatever, right? Because you know that they have the best price in some of your produce items, but not all your produce items because it'll be weird because Publix will have these amazing sales, I'm naming my local retailers here on certain items. And then you might go to Walmart for some items and people might think, well, wait, you're going to spend so much in gas, blah, blah, blah. No, you're not. Shut up. You're only, you're only going to go to Aldi like once a month because you're going to go there. You're going to stock up on those particular items. You're going to go into like a Walgreens or CVS because they give away food for free sometimes if you know how to watch for that stuff. So we developed a system as a membership-based website where we would do that. And then we would also find all the coupons for you because coupons could take, uh, again, if you follow this system, you could take an $800 a month grocery bill easily down to $300 a month. Wow, and wow. so we developed, it cost us five, cost our members five bucks a week. And then we would help them cut their grocery bill by $500 a month or more. So wow. great ROI. We ended up making over $6 million in, uh, in revenue from that system. And we did zero advertising. The only advertising I did was I became a, I became a media person. Like I became a consumer expert and I started doing radio, TV, newspaper. I, I've had a syndicated newspaper column now for almost 11 years. I've done syndicated TV in 75 markets. I've been on TV more than 700 times. Radio I've done probably five, 600 times as well. I had a syndicated segment that I was doing there. You know, that's all I did for advertising. And mm -hmm. then we also had a really successful affiliate program. Now I need to tell you that if you go to Savings Angel, you won't find that membership site anymore because- consumers were really interested in couponing when we hit the recession. And as the, we got out of that, not so much anymore. Yeah. So that's, you know, when we kind of talk about, you know, you can't really, you can't force the market to adjust. So you kind of have to just move with it and res not respond, but try to be, you know, kind of Wayne Gretzky will talk about, you know, go to where the puck will be, develop the thing. Like, so right now, as of when we're recording this, if you are not developing products and services for what consumers are going to be demanding six months from now, you're really asleep at the wheel. Mm -hmm. This is a major, major disruptive moment right now. Consumer behavior is adjusting in a really big way. And by the way, I don't care if you sell B to G, B to C, B to B, whatever you sell, right? Everyone is a consumer. We're all changing things right now. The world, because of COVID-19 and all that, has fast forwarded a few years. And, you know, a lot of the things in terms of like, you saw Walmart with their, you could pull up and just pull up in your car. 
someone just comes out, you ordered all your groceries on the app or you could see all the clear pricing. You don't have to walk around the store or anything like that. You just order everything online. You show up, bam, they put it in your cart or the grocery delivery. These things are changing. Streaming services versus going to the movies. You know I mean, these, there are a lot of things. Restaurants, how those are all being done right now. Think of your industry right now and how things are changing. And if you're not adapting quickly and providing those solutions, guess what? Your competitors will and they'll beat you to the punch. Now is a really great opportunity to get into a blue ocean and provide new products and services in a way that other people are not willing to do. Yeah, no, and, and I certainly expect there to be quite an influx of new businesses coming along doing exactly that, solving some of these problems or adjusting to some of these new ways of life that we're adopting now. So you mentioned when you launched your business that you did know advertising with that business, and it did very, yeah. very well. You created millions of dollars with that business. So could you talk a little bit about some of the steps that you took when you launched that business? Again, hopefully helping someone who's launching a business in you know, maybe the next month or what have you, maybe they don't have very much money. So this is a perfect way to be able to get their new business out into the world and leverage the media, leverage some of the resources that a lot of people don't necessarily know how to leverage. Yeah, and I'll tell you, this is part of a bigger trend that we're seeing right now anyway. And we have been seeing this for years in terms of how consumers have been responding to marketers. If you just think that you can just put a simple sales funnel in front of people and just, you know, you can go from introduction to them buying hundreds of dollars worth of products within an hour. Yeah, good luck with that. That doesn't work anymore. And so you may as well give up on that. And instead, what you need to do is... Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. What you need to do is invest in relationships. Make it ridiculously easy for people to spend time with you. Make it ridiculously easy for them to gain value from you and for them to experience your wisdom and your authority. And so you can do this on your own stages and you can do this on other people's stages. But the name of the game here is stop selling. You need to instead give as much value as you possibly can. And the reason I say this is because we live in an era of podcasting and YouTube where content is free. And so if your whole thing is trying to sell an e-course, they still sell, but not as well these days, especially if you're kind of new to the game, it's kind of hard to do that. Now, what is selling is, again, if you consistently show that you solve problems. So for us, for example, at Up My Influence, which we launched uh, six years ago, so there's two things that we do really, really well. We turn our clients into media celebrities. 
I've got the background. We've been able to do this. I mean, we get our clients, you know, some of our clients are getting like 40, 50 media placements a month. And we're like one fourth the cost of a normal PR firm. You do this because it's going to boost your authority. It's going to boost your visibility. It's going to boost your revenue. So we do that really well. And then we also are really, really good at building B2B sales systems so that you can can systematize the process of relationship building. And the more connection you can create as quickly as possible, it's like imagine being able to show up at an event and everybody in this room is like a dream ideal client. Do you want to talk to one person there? Or would you like to talk to 20 to 50 people there and exchange contact information and say, yeah, let's definitely connect and have that conversation. I'm a fan of 20 to 50. Now, that might not fit your personality in an in-person you know, in in event. You might be more of an introvert, so that's kind of hard. So that's why you have the system kind of do that for you. So we're really, really good at building systems that make introductions happen. And it's honestly, people don't do business with businesses. They don't do business with services, products. People do business with people. And you can fight this if you want but I think it's a losing battle or it's going to be an extremely expensive battle and you're going to be really hard pressed to generate return on investment or a profit margin in doing that. So go ahead and embrace it. People like doing business with people. You just got to make it really, really easy for people to get to know you. Yeah, no, absolutely. It makes, makes perfect sense. So you mentioned systematizing relationship building. Do you have any high level overviews, tips yes. on how to create that system uh, or yes. how to begin yeah. to create that system? Yeah, absolutely. So there's two things you need. So number one is you need to have a lot of really great content. And I strongly recommend video. Listen, if I spend 15 minutes reading someone's blog post versus watching 15 minutes of video with them, mm -hmm. I'm just going to feel a lot closer to that person that did that video. And so video is about the best we could possibly do. Live one-on-one -on -one video is the best best. And then secondly would be asynchronous. Thirdly would be, you know, me producing a piece of video that, that you can enjoy and, and having that out on YouTube or whatever. But I'm a really big fan of that. Like the YouTubers that I watch, like, I, you know, there was one guy, he's $500 an hour guy. And, but he, I was interested in the subject. He was one of the only ones that was um, producing, you know, giving away what other people were charging money for. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know these people that are charging money for these systems, so I'm not going to give them money. But this guy, you know, produced a whole series and he basically told, taught you everything on and specifically was like how to use um, pipe drive and how to do masterful follow-up systems and so i watched all his videos implemented a lot of his ideas and then i hired him because <laughs> mm -hmm. i wanted to i was like okay I, I said listen i did everything you said but i really want to pay you for a couple of hours thousand dollars two hours of his time and it was easiest money in the world for me to spend. I didn't eat, we, he never even talked to me, but because he made it so easy for us to spend time together, then it was an easy sell for him. And I knew he had demonstrated his expertise. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing you need to do is you demonstrate your authority. You also need to demonstrate that you can solve a problem. So that's, that's what we ought to be doing today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So many people are so afraid to give away 
give away their knowledge. They want to hold on to it. And I, I need to be paid for this. I need, right. you know, everybody needs to understand that it took me a long time to you know, come up with all this information, but that, yeah. That's absurd. And I think that's an absurd notion that, and it's honestly, it's a relic. Mm -hmm. So if you're a marketer and that's your philosophy, it's time to let go of that because your consumers hate it. They, they, they hate it and they're not buying it. Oh yeah, they'll buy it if you if you spend, you know. So spammers, it's like a, a broken clock being right twice a day. Spammers can, you know, if, if you're a spammer, you can do business because at a, at a you know, ridiculously tiny number, it still works. But is that honestly, is that the legacy that you mm -hmm. wanna create? Is that honestly why you got in business? To win because you're just, you're gonna work that numbers game out to you having to blast your message and you're kind of just try to sell to tens of hundreds of thousands of people before you can get one. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to mm -hmm. live my business like that. I would rather be known for giving away value and wake up every morning saying, you know, who can I provide value to and keep with that on a consistent basis so that people, by the time they come to me, they're like, oh my gosh, Josh, I've watched like five hours of your video, I'm so, they're almost like a little bit starstruck to be on a call with you. Like those are really great people to work with, not people that you have to convince. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and would you happen to have any type of metrics? We've had businesses that have spent whatever it is, $5,000 in Facebook ads, and they've gotten one or two sales compared to this other process where, again, maybe they spend 10 hours of creating content creating video and then yeah. you know what what the difference is in the conversion ratio there do you have any metrics as far as that's concerned yeah so a lot of our clients are actually already doing pretty good content we're not a content marketing company where we fit in is you already you know you're already doing the basic principles of this now i can share some of my numbers i'll share you know one client for example so what we do then is we say okay so right now what is your call to action what do you give people and if all you're giving them is discovery call or a quote unquote free consultation, <laughs> we all know what that is. That's a sales call. Yeah. So your, con your clients know what that is. Consumers know what that is. So instead, why not give them something so ridiculously valuable that they would be like, yes, of course. So you'll see like when you go to up my influence, like we developed a, our, our media influencer makeover product right now, we give it away for free. It's over $8,000 worth of our services. Wow. Uh, we had marketed it for a little while for $1,800. And now we give it away for free. And I mean, that's, there's no sales, there's no upgrade. There's no, it's just, I want people to spend time with me. And I want people to go, Oh my gosh, this Josh guy is the smartest guy on the planet, right? And the only way for them to get to that point is I really have to make a lot of investments in, in doing that. So again, more content, but that next step would be what is the next thing that you could give them? And this next level, you can set qualifications for this. So you say, for example, so we have over 100,000 people in our social media audience. And I say, listen, we do a podcast. We do a daily podcast called The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. If you are doing six figures or more in business, then I would love to have you as a guest on The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. So now we promote, we promote heavily. We do lots of nice stuff for our guests. I mean, it is like we want them to feel like they're at Shangri-La. You know, it's like they, like they really, we pull out all the stops. Yeah, we're investing a lot of resources into them because I'd rather invest into our future clients than 
invest into some social media platform or whatever, mm -hmm. some, you know, Google or whatever. I don't need to pay for ads. If I, I'd rather just give it to our people. And so now what I know is that not everybody that I interview, we end up doing business with, but a lot of them we do. And enough of them do that it makes that activity wildly profitable. So a lot of times you have to kind of create a little bit of art here. There's a little bit of art and science to this, but that's kind of, that's the work that we do. So I give away the basics on how to do all this stuff. Some of this stuff, the only way you can figure these problems out are consulting. And so that's kind of where we come in and we're like, okay, we can fix these big problems for you. And then we have a productized service that we can help them fix that. But, you know, to answer your question, for ourselves, back in May of 2019, before we really hit this hard, you know, I had about maybe two to three sales calls a week just from our content. Plus I speak at conferences and stuff. You know, I'll go to a conference, I'll speak for the Tony Robbins organization. I'll get a lot of people through the door or social media marketing world or whatever. So, but it was a little bit of, you know, kind of a little up and down based on events. And so when we started doing this, I went from two to three sales calls on average every week, 15 to 20 consistently. And that's the biggest word is consistent. Every single week, if you looked at my schedule, I block out in like mostly 30 minute sections, 100% full of, yeah. of like every slot available, either working with potential new clients or, or working with clients that have now since onboarded. So yeah, that's the idea. So you, you got to develop those great systems where you extend an invitation that makes a no brainer. But yeah, so based on that, well, we had in our pipeline, we had about 20 some thousand dollars, not including what we had on the books in our pipeline, about 20 some thousand dollars monthly recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. By November of last year, that was over $200,000 wow. in potential monthly recurring revenue. Wow. So I say potential, not all closed. We were consistently closing about 10% pretty easily. And then I'd say, you know, right out of the gate, we have now improved our systems. So that number is getting closer to like 30, 40% now. So does it make sense for us to spend $100 on a client to promote them and do nice stuff for them? And then they turn around and you know, re-promote us when that podcast episode goes live. For us, it's a perfect system. This isn't the perfect system for everybody. So that's why you, know, you could try this stuff yourself. We do a lot of content like on how to do DIY and kind of you know, do it yourself. But you know, our clients generally, they're making six figures or more in business. Mm -hmm. They know the time is money. They'd rather just kind of get this solved in six weeks as opposed to six months. And so that's, yep. that's kind of where we come in. Time is money. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, this is fantastic. So if you have someone's interested in learning more about your systems or working with you, what would be the best way to get in touch with you, would you say? Yeah. So you go to www. Well, you don't have to do that, but I say that so you know that I'm about to give you a web address. That's media training, by the way. It's like, <laughs> so go to www.upmy influence.com. And so you'll see, we have, I love short little videos, explainer videos on how to do everything. I love giving resources away. Like I love takeaway actionable videos. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see, we do a lot of short little video content all over. But um, one thing you want to look at, like if you're interested in kind of what you're talking about right now, if you click on our services tab, you'll see something where I talk about B2B sales system, watch that little eight minute video because I'll actually show you a diagram, like a little funnel where I kind of show all the different pieces and how they all work together. It's honestly, it's uh, following a lot of Bob Berg's philosophy. So he's a, he has a philosophy called, you know, go-giver and the go-giver sells more. So it's, it's really a lot of that philosophy and it just happens to be working really well right now. When everybody else's sales funnels are drying up because nobody's clicking on ads and nobody wants to get on sales calls, 
duh. So instead, keep that momentum going by just doing nice things for people. And eventually people will remember that and you start the process early and then those dominoes start falling in, it might be a month or two after you begin that process. But I would rather have 30% of 100 rather than 1% of 10. Yeah, yep, that makes perfect sense. Excellent. Well, this has been fantastic. You know, Josh, we uh, certainly have more that we can talk about with, with all of this. Maybe that'll be another episode. I certainly appreciate this. And this has been great. Yeah. One thing, uh, Matt, uh, for someone who's, you're not quite at that level yet where you're ready to make investments in, in growth and that sort of thing. Like I said, if you hurry right now, and, I, and I'm not sure how much longer we'll do this, and I'm not doing it as a fake scarcity thing. It's really, we opened up our $1,800 media influencer makeover product for free because of COVID-19. And yeah. so I would assume once the economy starts cranking, we'll probably put a price tag back on it at some level. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll still give away a ton of stuff for free, but that's, you could just go to up my influence.com slash give back. There's no upsell. There's no, it's not going to ask for billing information. I'm not going to sell you anything. Honestly, if you want to buy some, you, you can, you know where to find me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, but if you're not ready to buy anything, then that's okay. I won't even know you're there. Just go and enjoy all that stuff free of charge. And by the way, I would also encourage other marketers until the economy fully recovers. What can you give away for free? What can you do for free? And don't you dare try and trick people with some kind of upsell type nonsense. Just give it away and stop. Just take your marketing hat and put it on the shelf for a while. Just trust your audience and you'll find that your audience really loves that. Like I love as a consumer, I love being trusted. I love being given value to and just say, listen, you're smart. Whenever you want that thing fixed, we could fix that, but you let me know when you're ready and we can take care of that in a New York second. So um, that's, that's kind of the idea. That's fantastic. Yeah. Spreading goodwill, basically. You know, what what, uh, we put out, you'll get back. So That's true. No, I love it. Well, this has been fantastic. Thanks again for being on the show. Matt, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.